Hey, listen, we're in the middle of a series called Back to Basics, and this is a series about recovering some of those smaller pieces of faith that sometimes get neglected. Uh, last week, we talked a little bit about how um, Eugene Peterson uh, likened our, our lives. He said, you know, that our lives are kind of like a, a triangle. He said, and, and everybody sees what's on the outside, you know, the things that you say and the things that you do. He said, but it's not the exterior line. It's not that line that makes the triangle a triangle. He said, it is the interior angles, the things that are often unseen, the things that you can't see from the outside, things like prayer. Uh, you know, most people are not going to notice your prayer life, and they're not going to come up to you during the day and say, man, you really had a great prayer time this morning. If they do, they either live with you or they had binoculars outside your house and were watching you, and that's weird. Um, but it's that kind of thing, that type of prayer that, that gives a little bit of shape to our life, and it's the private stuff, the personal things that should be giving shape to the exterior. The problem is that often people go for what we might think of as a quick win, and they go to make the outside look good while the inside is completely neglected. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, but you've bumped into some Christ followers who have spent more time on the outside than on the inside, we call those folks hypocrites. That's the word for them. And we, you know, all have a, a, a story where we've run into people where the outside, it looked good, but there was something about that person that felt empty or hollow or was just sort of off. Uh, we've had those moments, and often what I think it is, is that the outside, it sort of, it looks the way it's supposed to, but there's no integrity of the soul. There's nothing that's there that's really giving shape or life to them. And so this whole series of getting back to basics is hopefully um, going to help, you know, those of you that believe in Jesus to, to live a life of integrity and spiritual depth. And for those of you that maybe don't believe in Christ, I would say that I would hope that this series would introduce to you what it means to live a life faithful to, uh, you know, living a life of integrity. Uh, today, again, we're talking about prayer. We're going to, you know, look at something that Paul had to say to the church uh, that Timothy is leading. Uh, Paul is an early church planner, early church thinker. Uh, he's got a very, very public ministry, Paul does. He's known uh, ends up being known throughout the known world. Uh, today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this guy, Paul. And so he had a lot, um, you know, that people noticed about him. But when he writes to Timothy, who has just started in his ministry at this church in Ephesus, he isn't going to talk to him so much about the exterior things, but he's going to talk to him a lot about the interior things. And he's going to talk to him about the importance of prayer, because Paul knows that it's not enough to look good on the outside, but that we've got to be good uh, on the inside. We've got to have a right relationship with God. Here's what he says in Second, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter two. He says, "I urge then, first of all." So he's saying what of first importance. If you get nothing else, get this: that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. All of these are just a different way to describe the practice of prayer. Paul says, I want you to pray. Uh, be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, when I first read this passage, there was one word that kept showing up again and again, and it's that word all. 
He wants to pray for, uh, you know, first of all, that all people, all those in authority, all godliness and holiness. Uh, The thing that stood out to me is that Paul is telling us to pray for all people. I don't know, for some reason that struck me as kind of odd, because what Paul is saying is this. He's saying he wants us to pray big prayers. For some reason, when I was growing up in the church, and I don't know who taught it to me, and I don't know where I got this idea, but somewhere growing up in the church, I was told that I should pray focused prayers, or smaller prayers is what I was told. Think of it like a light bulb, right? If you if everything was out in this room and we just had a singular light bulb, it you know, it would be light, but it wouldn't be very focused. But if we got a flashlight in the dark room, we could then like point it on whatever we wanted and we could see it really, really well. Or if we got even better, we got like a laser, right? And we could get the laser, then we would have like a super intense beam of light someplace. And our prayers, I was sort of taught or told or picked up somewhere that our prayers are sort of like that, that they need to be focused in order to be powerful as though God was maybe not large enough or, you know, powerful enough to take care of the whole world, but that he could maybe take care of my, you know, aunt and her bunions. You know, we, God could swing that, but I couldn't pray for people with bunions throughout the whole world because that, that wouldn't work. Now, again, I don't know who taught me this. I don't know where I picked this up, but, but somewhere along the line in the church, I was told I needed to pray these focus prayers. Whereas what Paul is saying is, no, 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 that's fine. You can pray for your aunt's bunions, and you can pray for your coworker that doesn't, you know, have a relationship with Christ, and you can pray for, you know, friends or family or whatever, but you can also pray for the whole world. Yes, you can pray for all people to come to know Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, you go, well, what does it matter? Like, what's the big deal? I think it matters for two reasons. The first reason is this. I think we should pray big prayers because God is capable of big answering big prayers. God is capable of answering our big prayers, but he's not going to answer our big prayers if we never pray big prayers. And so we should pray big prayers. Later in this passage, we're going to look at in a second, it says that God desires that all people would be saved. If I'm just praying for my coworker, how is my prayer life benefiting anybody else? God wants us to pray big prayers because he wants to answer big prayers. He likes to answer the kinds of prayers I think that, you know, when the answer comes, we're all having to say, you know what, that was totally God because there was nothing anybody else could have done to have made that work out. Paul wants us to pray big prayers. I remember listening to a sermon or a, a lecture, I don't remember, it was, it was a while ago, but this, this guy was talking about his church's tradition and in their church's tradition, they would pray for all of the church. They, they would spend time on the Sunday morning, and they would pray for all the believers all the way around the world. That was what they would pray. And he said, when you don't pray that prayer, he said, it gets harder out there for somebody. Somewhere in the world, it gets harder for somebody. He, he was so convinced that my prayer for the entire world, it had ramifications. And I think he might be right. All right, so that's the first reason. The second reason that we need to pray big prayers is this, is that it does something inside of us. Paul is praying for the salvation of the entire world. What does Paul do with his life? He goes into the entire known world taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his big prayer that leads him to big things. Uh, William Carey, who's in many ways the father of modern missions today, he went to be an evangelist in China. I believe it was his big prayers that led him to that. Here's what he said about prayer. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. 
You see, when we start to pray these big prayers, it gets us invested in them, and it, it expands our hearts. I think this is why Jesus told the disciples, he said this, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What is the harvest field of God? It's the entire world. Jesus says, pray that people would go out into the world, into the entire world, so that way all people could be saved. So that's, that's the first thing, is, is this passage, I think, is teaching us that we should pray big prayers. There's a second thing, a little more focused here, that Paul's going to talk about. He says he wants us to pray for all those in authority. Uh, he wants us to pray for powerful people. Now, in Paul's day, obviously, they had kings and they had governors. Uh, today, we don't have those, at least not in our country. Uh, we have got presidents and senators and congresspeople. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but Tuesday, there's an election coming. Um, if you're not aware of this, you don't have a television and you don't receive junk mail. And your life has got to be really awesome. Like, it really does. Like, I'm thinking that sounds really great about right now and you don't listen to the radio, and you live in a box. That, that, I don't know about that part, but um, I mean, yeah, we're kind of inundated with all of this, and we're not just told like, who we should vote for. We're also told like, if we vote for the wrong person, like the world, it might come to an end. I mean, it just might. It just might all come crashing down. And yes, we should vote, but Paul, I think, is also going to say, you know, vote's good, but uh, prayer is also really, really good. I think as a church, and I don't mean our church in specific, but the church in general, I think Christian folks, we spend a little bit too much time complaining about politicians and not enough time praying for politicians. I, I get that we want to have conversations and maybe we don't like everybody. I get that. That's fine. You know, okay. But what if you prayed as much as you complained? Like, what if you did that? Like, what if we could, like, bring the quota up and we say, you know, I'm not going to complain any more than I pray, and I'm not going to pray any more than I complain. Maybe that part, we could leave that out. But, but we're going to pray for these folks. Paul says, I want you to pray for them. Now, why does he want them to pray for them? He says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Paul says, listen, the, the politician's job, the governor's job, the emperor's job, the king's job, he's got one job, Paul says. She's got one purpose in running for office, Paul says. Their job is that we would lead peaceful and quiet lives. Why? So that way the gospel of Jesus Christ would move forward. So who's Paul going to vote for? He's going to vote for whoever is going to make sure that the gospel is not hindered by conflict, turmoil, war. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says, I want to live a peaceful, quiet life so that way I can go about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's passionate about. And so he's going to pray for the folks that are leading. He didn't vote for the emperor. He didn't vote for the governor. He doesn't get a vote. But he's going to pray for them because he wants to be able to continue with the mission that God's put him on. You know, praying for people in authority is an interesting sort of dynamic in Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 29.7 from the Old Testament talks about this. Long before the time of uh, Paul, uh, you've got God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation Israel. And here is the situation. The nation Israel has been conquered and captured by a foreign country. They've literally been deported. They've been exiled to a foreign place. And here is what God says they should do. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you in exile. 
In other words, pray that their businesses flourish and that their schools get good grades and that, you know, the, the civic infrastructure is in good, you know, condition. He says, pray for their success. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I mean, you have a nation literally enslaved, and God says, I want you to pray for them to succeed. Why? Because if they succeed, then you can succeed. If, if they succeed, then you will be living at peace, and you will be able to do the things that I've called you to do. Somewhere along the line, I think we forgot or, or didn't remember or whatever happened, that you know, if we worked together and got something done, it was better than not working together and getting nothing done. You know, today, people, if you don't, you know, talk like me, act like me, think like me, vote like me, then you're not my friend. Friends, this is how children act. You know, you, you kids come, he brings a ball to the playground, and they're going to play, but if you don't play my game, I'm going to take my ball, and I'm going to go home. God is saying, I want you to work together. I want you to succeed. I want you to prosper. I want you to live in peace, so that way you're not distracted by these other things, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ can move forward. That's what God's calling us to do. That's how we ought to be praying. We ought to be praying for our leaders. We ought to be praying big, passionate prayers. And these big, passionate prayers, there's one more thing Paul's going to talk about in, in uh, 1 Timothy. Here's what he says. He says, this is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants, there's that word again, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Did you catch the, the phrase there at the beginning about God? It said, it pleases God our Savior. He says, when you pray this way and you work this way, he said, this pleases God. So our prayers should be prayed in line with God's heart. We need to pray with God's heart for the things that God desires. You know, our prayer list is often consumed with sort of self-centered needs, but Paul is saying, that's a good starting point. But let's move past that. Let's move to the place where we pray for the things that please the heart of God. That's what we ought to pray for. You know, this is a church that Paul is writing to that is, that is divided and fractured, and they've got different groups in there that are wanting different things. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you bring about church unity. You get together and you pray. You pray for the things that God wants. I think churches get distracted when they stop praying for the things that God wants, and they start focusing on the things that they want, and they start focusing on their own comfort. And, and we forget when we do that that we've been called to be less so that Jesus can become more. And that's what this church is about. We want to be less so that Jesus can become more in, in me, in you, in our neighborhoods. And when you get together as a church and you start praying, God, would you, would you bring all of the people that are far from you close to you? And would you use us to do that? And God, would, would you help us to be consumed with bringing people that are far from you close to you? God, would you help us to do that? When you start to pray like that, it starts to bring a unity to God's people as they start to focus on the mission of God. There's something that, that happens inside of us when we pray this kind of prayer. When we pray, you know, God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? You see, God is asking us to invest in his kingdom through our prayer life. And if you do that and you say, God, I'm praying for the lost people, for all of the people that are lost around the world, that they would come and know you. Then when somebody, you know, makes a decision, is baptized into Christ, or a child is baptized into Christ as a result of our Awana ministry, then you can look at that and you can say, you know what? 
I had a part in that. That is a direct result. It is an answer to my prayers. And when our heart starts to line up with God's heart, amazing things happen. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 37. It says, find your delight in the Lord. Then he will give you everything your heart really wants. The psalmist is telling us that when we start to desire God most, that our soul will find the greatest amount of satisfaction. It was Halloween this last week. You still have candy left in your house? Have you eaten too much candy? Only two people have eaten too much candy. Three, four, the rest of you are lying. Okay, I know. I'm, I'm really troubled by a trend that's happening around Halloween right now. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered by this. Um, there's been an insurgence of pretzel bags given out at houses for trick-or-treaters. Have you noticed this? I had somebody confess that they had bought pretzel bags to hand out after first service, and I, I told them that we could move past it and that God could forgive them. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, where does it end? I mean, like, you know, this year it's pretzel bags. Next year we're like, you know, maybe we should have carrots. You know, and so then you're the house that's handing out carrots. Yeah, I feel bad for you later. So you're handing out carrots, and then what, two years from now, then it's like carrots aren't good enough, it's got to be non-GMO carrots? I mean, this is a slippery slope. It's candy, candy only. Like, it should be a ticketable offense. I'm sorry, Mr. Williams, you were handing out pretzel bags, $150 fine, maybe you get it together. If you're not going to hand out candy, just turn off the lights, close your blinds, hunker down inside, just be one of those people. Just, that's fine, that's cool, just be that person, just own it. Halloween's about candy, okay? That's, I'm sorry. And that's, that's not, that has nothing to do with this. I'm, I'm distracted, sorry. But if you work at home, maybe like on Mondays and you write a sermon there, um, you know, just hypothetically speaking, I've got a friend. Um, and so you're left at home with all of this candy, like just a whole bunch of candy. You start eating candy because it's there, and you're like, oh, you know, a little piece of candy won't hurt, but one turns into two, and you know, where did the, well, it ends. You got to throw the wrappers away. You start feeling guilty, so you throw it away, and then lunchtime comes, and you've had too much candy. You're like, I'm not really hungry for lunch, but you know, so about three o'clock later, you start eating a little bit more candy maybe, and then like your body starts to be like, you have just put garbage into me. I feel like garbage because you put garbage into me, and I'm like, I, I know, but it's so good, and then there's something that happens, and, and if we're all honest with ourselves, we've been at this place where you start to eat candy and you go, I don't want to see another piece of candy ever again in my life. Not ever again. I don't ever want to see it. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are shaking your heads. Others of you, like, it's like I was living with you this week and you're horrified. I get it. That's where we're at, okay? And that's our soul. At some point in time, your body starts to say, I don't want any more candy. I don't want any more of those bad pretzels. I don't want any of that stuff. I want like something nutritious. I want something that maybe looks like it came from the earth. Like a carrot stick at this point sounds good. I want meat. I want something of substance. I don't want any more of this garbage. And what the psalmist is telling us with this verse is that our soul can be sated with a lot of things that isn't really very satisfying. You know, you can watch some TV and feel, you know, sort of like good emotionally. You can do these sorts of things, and, and you might have a little bit of a peaceful, easy feeling, as the Eagles talked about, but until your heart lines up with God's heart, you will never find true satisfaction in our souls. The real thing that nourishes our hungry souls, it's God and God alone. 
And we start to experience him and feed our souls through prayer. Now we can take some time to get your appetite realigned for the things of God. But when you do, you discover that prayer, it is a gift of God. It is not a chore. So if you're here this morning and you're going, man, I really want to help my prayer life get better, I want to give you four thoughts on how you might improve your prayer life. Just a couple of quick ideas here. Here we go. How to start praying. Number one, make time for it. I know, you're kind of going, well, I was hoping for something better than that. It's where it starts, okay? It's where it starts. People want this deep spiritual answer. It starts with making time for it. Your prayer life right now is what you have made it, okay? You just need to own that. It's not your spouse's fault that you don't pray more. It's not your boss's fault that you don't pray more. It's not your professor's fault that you don't pray more, your teacher's fault, your friend's fault. It's not your dog's fault that you don't pray more. If you want to pray more and you don't pray more, it's your fault. you got to own it. And the only way to move past it is to say, I'm going to make some time for it. I'm going to make the time to pray. If you're a night person, you turn off the TV just a little bit earlier. If you're a morning person, you just get up a little bit earlier. You don't turn the TV on so early. And you spend some time in prayer. It doesn't take long, but it does take some time. And so you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm going to carve out some time. Then hold yourself accountable. You can do that several ways. You can keep track of it in a calendar. Better yet, get a friend. Say, you know what, I want to pray. I know you want to pray. Why don't we call each other and make sure that we're awake and we're going to pray? That's the answer you got to make some time for your prayers. Once you've made some time, then here is step two. Tell God all about it. Now, I've talked to a lot of people who've started praying and then got frustrated because they're like, you know, I thought I could do this in like 15 minutes in the morning, but, but it, like, it took me an hour. Well, when was the last time you prayed before that? I don't know. It had been, it'd been a long time, weeks, maybe months. Well, there's a lot you had to catch up with God with. You know what I'm saying? If you're talking with God every day, just like a normal friend, you know, you can get caught up in about 15 minutes. But if it's been like a year since you've talked to God, it's going to take you a while. So just be prepared. It's all about time. Uh, interesting study. Jeffrey Hall, communications professor at the University of Kansas, published some research about friendship. And he said, you know, if you want to just be sort of a casual friend, 40 to 60 hours will form a casual friendship. If you want to form like a normal friendship, he said it takes 80 to 100 hours to form a real friendship. And if you want to move to that level of good friend or best friend, it takes 160 to 200 hours. Time is the predictor of closeness. And so if you want to be close with God, it's spelled T-I-M-E, friends. You've got to make the time for it, and in that time, you've got to tell God all about it. And when you do, and you spend that time there, you will find a closeness grow with God. Third, uh, you need to expand your prayers uh, by praying through Scripture or keeping a list. You know, our church, we send out a weekly email list of prayer needs that you folks write down, and we send them out to our prayer team, and the staff prays for them, and the elders pray for them. Uh, and then we send it out to the church. And if you're here this morning and you want to grow your prayer life, just let us know, hey, I want to receive that prayer list, and we'll send it to you via email. Uh, we'd love for you to pray for that. That's one way you can kind of make your prayers less selfish and more about others. Uh, there's lots of ways to do this. Some people pray through the Lord's Prayer uh, and use that to kind of guide their thoughts. Some people read through the Psalms and pray in response to the Psalms. That's a beautiful way to pray. Um, there's a lot of different ways to sort of expand. I, I, I hesitate to give too many specific things because of time, but then also this is that there's no right or wrong way to pray. If you're showing up and you're praying, God's delighted in that. And that's the fourth thing I think we all need to remember, is that God loves to hear you pray. He does. 
you might not be delighted when you pray, but God is. You might not receive great joy when you pray, but God does. God wants to hear from you. How do I know that? Well, what, what father doesn't want to hear from their kids? What dad doesn't want to hear from his son or his daughter? God is the perfect heavenly father. So maybe your father didn't want to, but God does. And he wants to hear from you. And he's delighted to hear from you. So allow the joy of God to drive your prayers. Even when you don't feel like praying, God feels like listening to you. And if you keep it up, if you stick it out, you will find that prayer becomes a life-giving habit. It becomes one of those interior angles that gives true shape and structure to your life. Now, it takes time. Don't give up. Pray big, passionate prayers. Pray them in line with God's heart, and you will start to see that your heart and your life line up with God's desires. Here's the thing I want us to remember through this whole series is that our faith, it might be personal, but it isn't private. It isn't private. It is something we might do in our personal time, but it has public ramifications. It gives shape to our life. Uh, as our worship team comes out, I just I, I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about one of the most profound lessons on prayer that I learned. It was actually in seminary of all places. Um, I remember this guy talking about prayer, and he said, you know what? Your time of prayer should affect coffee with your neighbor, and coffee with your neighbor should affect your time in prayer. In other words, the two should go together. Faith isn't personal. It's actually public. It encompasses everything. And so this week, if that's you, and you're saying, man, I'm in. I'm ready. I'm going to start praying. Think about when you're going to pray. Maybe it's in the car without the radio on. Maybe it's early. Maybe it's late. Maybe it's at lunch. But just think right now about when is it that you're going to take some time to pray and then do it. I want to talk to one more group of people because I know you're here. We won't ask for a show of hands. Some of you are here and you don't want to pray, but you want to want to pray. You don't want to pray, but you're like, I want to want to pray because I think that would be a good thing. I want to want to pray. What do you do there? Well, you tell God about that too. You say, God, I want to want to pray, but I don't really want to pray. God, he, he knows already. He's not going to be surprised. You're not going to hurt his feelings. He knows. Tell him about that. Say, God, would you grow in my heart a desire to pray? And I think if you pray that earnestly, God will meet you there. God meets us right where we are. So this week, let's get back to basics. Let's be committed to praying. And if you're not there yet, let's pray that God would grow in us a desire to pray.